one in general has to go on this journey oneself. One has to go through one's own pain. Uh, it's extremely important, extremely important. Understand what you feel. And only once you understand what you feel will you start leading a life aligned with what you want to do. And then it can be extremely fulfilling. doesn't matter what it is. It's so unimportant what it is. But you have to feel. Go back to that feather. Spend every day, wake up in the morning, aligning all the... Welcome back to the Max Out Show, where today I'm joined by one of my personal heroes, Jimmy Nelson. Some might call Jimmy a photographer or an artist, but as we'll see over the course of our conversation together, he's much more a student of life, of people, of happiness. So Jimmy has spent his lifetime seeking out and celebrating the last indigenous cultures as well as extreme experiences around the world. And so we'll take a deep dive today into what it means to be truly human and alive. So Jimmy, welcome to the show. Good morning. Nice to be here. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you, really. Um, and so before we dive into you know, all of these incredible lessons and adventures that you know, you've going on right now and, and have done in the past, can mm -hmm. you share the story of how you got started in this whole field in the first place? Um, it's a potentially very long story. Yeah. I'll try and make it as compact and as concise as possible. But there's a very clear story. I think, uh, interestingly... As life progresses, I'm now 53, it becomes clearer, to me anyway. So I'll try and relate it to you. You kindly gave me a compliment at the beginning. Uh, I take it very graciously. Um, I don't necessarily see myself as a photographer, but I do see myself as somebody who is working extremely hard. That's not work in the context of a job. That's in the context of being a human being to understand uh, why I'm here. It's not in the context of some sort of evangelical message, uh, but it's what is my purpose and why am I on this planet for this relatively short yeah. period of time if you look at the, the longevity of history. And I think that questioning came from quite an interesting childhood. I, for seven, the first seven years of my life, I traveled extensively with my father. He was a geophysicist, um, a geologist. He sort of studied rocks. He, prior to having me, he spent about 10 years living in the Antarctic. So he was uh, obsessed with the natural world. Um, he came back to the UK, got married, uh, probably shouldn't have got married, had me, and took me off into the world as a geologist working for the oil industry. So for the first seven years of my life, I lived extensively around the world. Wonderful places. Uh, West Africa, the Middle East, uh, South America, wow. Papua New Guinea. Mm -hmm. And I often use a, a, an analogy. Those years, I felt a little bit like uh, Mowgli from Rudyard Kipling's The Jungle Book. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a romanticization. I wasn't running around naked with uh, uh, Baloo the Bear. But I did feel completely free. I felt very connected to myself, as most children are, prior to the age of seven or eight, and the natural world and the people who live in it, in all their beautiful and wonderful diversity. At the age of seven, uh, my parents decided, you can't read and you can't write. We can't teach you that. So we're going to send you to the UK, to northern England, and we're going to put you in an institution, uh, what 
often happen to expatriate children. But they put me in an environment with 1,000 children, boys, no women, very isolated in the mountains, hills, and it was managed by 400 uh, uh, Catholic Jesuit priests. So it was a, sort of a seminary. Uh, we would attend church three times a day. Um, I arrived, and that's when the new journey began, the extreme journey. Uh, I came out of a world that was very trusting into an environment of educators who from day one decided to judge me. First of all, they said, you can't read and write, so you must be stupid. I think there are elements of ADHD and autism and asperges in me, but I think there are in most human beings. Perhaps it's me tipping more into the positive than the negative. So I was a little bit of a different kid. I'd come from living in the bush. I, couldn't, I wasn't classically educated, had a few sort of uh, uh, eccentric tics. So they said, you're weird. Uh, you're obviously very stupid. They even used the term retarded. So uh, you're going to have to go into the special section, which didn't really help. Mm. Then they said, where are you from? And I said, uh, well, I'm from here, here, and here. And I showed pictures, mm -hmm. this the first mm -hmm. pictures of my life. And most of my friends in the pictures were black. Mm -hmm. As a child, I didn't understand the difference in color. It wasn't relative. Whether I liked somebody or not, that mattered. So they said, well, and, and who are all these black people you hang out with? And black, black. So, so I was being judged for being stupid, being retarded, uh, hanging out with the wrong people. Uh, then uh, for the first two years of the, that 10-year experience, uh, a number of the priests, were they used their authority to, to, in a broader sense of the word, to sexually abuse a number of us as children. Uh, as the years have progressed, it's not necessarily a good thing, but it's formed me to who I am today and what we're going to talk about. But at the time, it killed me, literally. Uh, you become extremely fearful because human adults who you're meant to trust start doing things with you they shouldn't do. You're a seven-year-old, eight-year-old child. You have no understanding, but you can feel it's wrong. And the only way to deal with it is to go into a lockdown. Let's use a sort of contemporary term, which everybody's been suffering from the last year. But I went as a very early child. Uh, I completely disconnected. I disconnected from all my emotions. So I often describe it as, as my, my soul left my body. And my soul would watch my body that didn't feel anything. Because if it felt something, it was too painful. So I didn't, I, I didn't develop emotionally correctly. So this abuse stopped after about two years. I tried to communicate it. Nobody would listen. So I went into a long-term lockdown in my early childhood up until my puberty. Um, didn't feel anything. I didn't evolve emotionally in the slightest. Uh, then at the age of 16, I was beginning to become a man, beginning to feel things and experience things sexually that I was very uncomfortable with. And I had an enormous amount of stress. And I came back from a journey in West Africa. I was ill. I had malaria, a lot of stress. And I was given the wrong medicine by these priests. And I woke up one morning, looked in the mirror and met a new face. Uh, a face with no hair. My hair fell out in one night after a period of about 10 hours. Uh, I often joke, most men of my age nowadays either have don't, any, don't have any hair or they shave it. And, it. and it's actually extremely practical. But when you're 16, it's a fucking disaster because you hate yourself, you hate your body, you hate your mind. And now you look in the mirror and you hate your face because you deem yourself as to be ugly. 
naked. Um, this was the tipping point of the journey. Uh, in a weird and wonderful way, uh, beautiful, I decided uh, I have to solve it. I have to find a, fun a way if I'm going to carry on living in life. I so hate everything about myself that I'm going to have to find a way to reconnect my soul with my body. How? I don't know. Um, and I remember very simply as a child when I was hiding from these priests, I used Tintin, uh, Tintin, I don't know, from Hergé, as my avatar. Obviously, we didn't have computers, but I would disappear at night reading under my duvet. Uh, Tintin, and I would disappear on his adventures, and I would disconnect from my life and become him to avoid the pain. And I remember Tintin had been somewhere on the planet where there were lots of young men, little children with no hair. They were the monks in Tibet. So I decided at the age of 17 to run away, a year after my hair had fallen out. I'd finished my exams. I stuck two big fingers up to the world and I said, nobody's going to help me. I think I'm going to have to organically find a way to help myself. So I desperately need to find other human beings who see me, see me for who I am as Jimmy, not for how I look or how I feel or where I'm from or what I've earned or how I talk to truly see my, my, my soul. And organically, I disappeared into Tibet. I arrived there in the early 1980s. Tibet, I didn't know it at the time, had been locked down, again, to use that term, for 30 years. The Chinese had gone in and destroyed all 660 working monasteries, claiming the territory. The rest of the world had done nothing. So I walked into a country of complete uh, pain mm -hmm. and struggle, so we had an immediate affinity, not that my struggle was anything compared to theirs. And I disappeared. And because I was so naive, I managed to get into Tibet, into places which people hadn't been to for about 30 years, oh, yeah. looking for human beings to see me. And the journey progressed. The first few months was a lot of crying and getting lost. And slowly, I started to meet the nomads. Slowly, we formed a connection and they began to care for me, feed me, guide me, teach me. And I think the best way to describe it, love me. Love me or find a way for me to re-begin a new journey to, to discover myself. The catalyst, not the catalyst, the consolidation of that journey was I had a little old camera with me, which had been given to me by my father. And I had four rolls of film, Kodak roll film, and... Each person that was kind to me, I wanted to, to record, but record in a very dignified, beautiful way. And these were the first portraits I made. So I came back three years later at the age of 19, and I showed these pictures to a few people, and they were published, and somebody said, you can become a photographer. Mm. So that's how the journey started. Admittedly with a camera, but it was never the fascination of cameras or lenses. It was the fascination of who am I? What do I need to invest in the other for, so that they see me in my, in my value? Does that make sense? Yes. And that's how the journey began. And so it wasn't photojournalism. It wasn't advertising. It wasn't fashion. It was purely how can I reconnect myself with my body and my soul by investing in the other? As the years progressed, the further I went off the grid, the further I disappeared into some of the world's most wonderfully untouched natural environments where human beings still live there, connected in an incredible way, 
uh, I found a way to deeper dig and, and find organic answers to who I am and why I believe I'm here. It's a bit of a mouthful, but that's essentially, that was essentially the beginning. Yeah. You know, Jim, thank you so much for sharing that because I think it's, it's such a beautiful story and, and I'm, I'm truly fascinated by by people like you or, or Mo Goddard, uh, through whom I found you that we also had on our show mm. for our listeners, right? That goes through this, this excruciating pain and trauma in your life, right? I mean, we're talking about a decade, right, of pure mm. pain and trauma for you. And then, and then come out on the other side and decide to commit themselves to this process of the internal work that you mentioned all the way in the beginning, right? Not sort of the external work of just doing the photography, but actually looking inside and seeing how can I heal myself? But in a weird way, if you, if you look back at, at unusual human beings, I'm not saying better or worse, but people who've chosen an, a more uh, eccentric, authentic, individualistic path in life, they've all experienced something unusual. Often it's related to extreme confrontation, extreme pain, uh, and it, it's a strange sort of contradiction in the life that we live here. I live here in Amsterdam. It's in the Netherlands. It's one of the most privileged, materially affluent places in the world, but it's so safe. It's so safe. It's so managed. It's so manicured. It's like the Truman Show. Everything is covered in concrete. Everything is heated. Everything is insured. You don't really have to experience any confronting human uh, aspect. It's so well managed. As a result of that, sometimes human beings, and I'm speaking very broadly, we use the Dutch term murf, numb. You stop, stop feeling things. The essence and the beauty of being a human being is, 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 is feeling. But you only feel when you're confronted. You only feel when you hit the wall. You only feel when you fall. You only feel when you fall, you bleed. And the healing of that are the scars. And the scars are what you carry with you. And you see them 24-7. And with those scars, those are the lessons that push you on this authentic journey as a human being. What it is or why it is, it doesn't matter. And weirdly, that brings you to moments of extreme uh, contentment slash happiness. That's what it's about. Because then you begin to understand yourself. Then you begin to understand your personal individualistic humanity. And you end up spending the majority of your daily existence doing things you enjoy, doing things of purpose, and doing things ultimately you may be good at. And that's the alignment. Why do you think we're so afraid of, of falling down and, and hitting our knee and starting to bleed? If, if there's this, all of this grandiose thing. We're educated uh, not to fail. We're taught not to fail. I'm a parent. I have three young adults in their 20s. My son, who's 21, has just gone and bought a motorbike. And I'm going, oh, no. <laughs> I've admitted to him I drove a motorbike for many years when I was ah, traveling. Big mistake. <laughs> I ran away from home when I was 17. And I say to him, oh, but, you know, I've had more than nine lives. Yeah. And then my son, who I care and I love for, and he says, yeah, yeah, but you can't be a hypocrite. You have to set me free. You have to set me, let me go into the world to discover the, the, the pain. So it's, um, and the ones who dare to do that tend to be often the ones that are braver. I think we're, we're encouraged to be very fearful. I think what's happening in the world at the moment, again, I don't 
scientifically truly understand it, but I believe we're being manipulated into fear. If we were to connect with what we felt and truly understand with what's going on at the moment, we would far easier and quicker see the truth. But we're, we're, we're all afraid. We're all afraid. We're all afraid. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you've, you've taken this, this process of really going out and, and hitting your knees really to the extreme. So can you share with us this, this really your, your journey of sort of, you know, going to these, these stripes, right? Oftentimes we're well, even speaking their language and then learning how to truly connect there. There, there. there are two sort of stories and they're more metaphors. One is um, why I still make it so difficult. But the first one is, is how do you connect? Uh, I'm often either challenged or asked. If you don't speak a language, you don't essentially understand a culture. There's no way I can understand a culture. If I go to Papua New Guinea, there are 300 of the world's 700 languages spoken on that wow. island. How would I ever understand one, let alone any of the 300? But the process of communication is is has evolved organically, and it's actually very beautiful and extremely simple to understand. If, as a human being, you've been put into a position where you've had everything taken away from you, every form of dignity, every form of grace, every form of trust, every layer of protection, you're stripped down to the core, yeah? You've got nothing to lose. Does that make sense? Yeah. So as a teenager, when everything was taken away, my, my aesthetics, so I believed, my emotions, my feeling, my sexuality, I have nothing to lose anymore. Absolutely nothing to lose. In that process, you go back to the very beginning. You go back to the beginning of humility, of total vulnerability. So if I disappear off into the middle of nowhere for months on end and try to connect with a group of people, an indigenous culture that are very remote, the easiest way to do it and the most natural way to do it is arrive and say, I am nobody. I have no authority, no wisdom, no wealth, no knowledge. I'm a vulnerable, uh, damaged human being, and I'm here to see you. I'm here to honor you. I'm here to be loved by you. And if you physically find a way to put yourself into that position, you don't arrive with an entourage. You don't arrive with eight assistants. You don't arrive with long lenses. You don't arrive with helicopters and walkie-talkies and attitude, arrogance, and ego. You arrive as nothing. Then you start on ground level of developing a relationship, a relationship of trust, a relationship of being included, a relationship of, and it sounds a little bit evangelical, and I, I apologize, but it really is that, about being loved by the other. And that's how you develop the relationship. The camera, the camera is the medium to, to, to underline and consolidate that meeting. Does that make sense? Yeah. And then the next part of the story is, why do I make it so difficult? So there was a, a few months ago, just before lockdown, I was in a school. This is an analogy in the metaphor, so bear with me. And there were a thousand teenagers, and they said, why do you make your journeys so difficult? Why don't you speed them up? Why don't you use digital photography? Why do you not just use an iPhone? <laughs> Half the world is now a photographer. The iPhone 12, whatever, can take a very, very good picture. Why do you make it so complicated? I use eight by 10 analog plate cameras. So it's extremely minimalistic photography that requires an enormous amount of effort. And they said, after all these years, haven't you understood or learned how digital? Is it because you're too old, you don't know how it works? 
And then I sort of was a little bit confused. I could see they weren't very interested and they hadn't really got the story. And I said, well, it's about, it's about feeling something. And if I feel something, then you communicate. And they were sort of looking at me very confused. And I said, okay, well, let's, what do you want to feel? So I was this kid who was asking the questions and he was about 16 and, and he started going red in the cheeks. And, uh, and I said, come on, I can see there's an emotion you want to feel. So let's forget photography and everything. What, what's the most important thing you want to connect with tomorrow? And he started blushing and everyone started giggling. And then he put up his hand and I said, yeah, what is it? And he said, well, there's a girl I want to kiss. <laughs> okay, now it's interesting. So all of the kids started to listen. And I said, okay, let's talk about kissing. And everybody starts laughing and they're all teenagers and extremely important. And I said, you probably know much more about it than I do. And let's put that into the context of photography. Mm-hmm. An easy kiss and a difficult kiss. Okay? An easy kiss could be uh, uh, analyzed as a smart smartphone. Digital, very easy, the term spray and pray. So tomorrow, you have two options. So they're all listening now. You can go onto the school square and everybody will be standing there and everybody will say, you can kiss me. You get instant gratification, instant success. You don't have to invest anything. You don't have to ask their names. You don't have to buy them dinner. Everybody says you can kiss them. That could be the equivalent of making life as easy as possible in using an iPhone and spraying and praying with digital. So everybody's going, yes, 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 yes. And I said, well, the second option is, now this is complicated because there's no guarantee of a kiss. The objective is a kiss, but there's no guarantee. So the first option is yes to everything. The second option is maybe no to one. And if you get it right, it will only last a second, that kiss, on the cheek, not on the lips. You can't touch. And it will be on the last second of the last hour of the last day of the last week of a two-month period. And the kids were looking at me very confused. And and they said, yeah, well, we choose option one. I said, well, I choose option two. Because I'm not interested in the kiss. I'm interested in the foreplay. I'm interested in the journey. I'm interested in the exploration. I'm interested in the failure. I'm interested in the pain. I'm interested in the investment. I want to open every tap of human emotion in that two-month period to discover what I feel. If everything aligns, if, and it's only if, and it doesn't happen often, and you get that one-second kiss, It's the biggest explosion you ever, 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 ever imagine because you had to work for it. You had to invest in it. You had to be brave. You had to be compassionate. You had to be fearless. And that's why I carry on these journeys. That's why I carry on being curious. That's why I carry on discovering because each journey gets more complicated. Each journey gets further. There is no destination. We know that. It's a bit of a cliche but it's the process. And in that process of investment, I get closer to aligning who I am as Jimmy. And one day, if I'm lucky, dare to look in the mirror, see me metaphorically and say, I love you and you're okay. Wow. Despite everything that you experienced and despite everything that you were told and everything that you loathed about yourself, one day, one day, maybe, and it may not happen, but you know the journey, you can accept that and say, it's okay. I love you. And I think that's the essence of every human being's journey because we're here for a very short period of time. There's nothing before this or after this. I'm sorry. I don't believe there is. 
But in that process, the day you learn to love yourself, you can learn to love others and perhaps the planet that you live on. And that's the process and that's the journey. But until you've started to feel it, and still you understand the journey, you will never know. So how do you teach? How do you inspire? How do you encourage others to feel the pain? to go over the edge without having it uh, uh, artificially imposed on them, uh, and, but to believe it's worth it, to believe it's worth it, yeah. Yeah, you know, Jimmy, this is one of the most beautiful things I've, I've ever heard in my life. And, and, and to me, it, it goes back to this idea that what we're really chasing is life is not the external thing. Right. What we're really chasing is not the kiss or not the you know, 20 kisses. What we're really chasing is ourselves meeting ourselves, finding ourselves, creating ourselves, learning who we really are and, and learning to love ourselves. And, 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 and I think when you're talking about Mo and the conversation with Mo, that sort of, you know, his, that search for happiness, it's a bit of a sort of airy-fairy uh, term. I, I prefer to call it contentment, yeah. alignment. How do you as a human being and all your facets and all your biology and your emotions find that balance that moment where everything is in harmony and everything in line, that is contentment. And I'm convinced that is happiness. It's very fleeting. It's very short. And, and, and it's the most wonderful feeling that there is. When one feels that, one then can reflect and, and, and leave a legacy, no matter how big or small, for others and for the planets that you're traveling on in this short period of time. And I think that should be the journey and the objective of all human beings. And it's very evangelical. And I don't care, but I'm sure that's the case. You know, no, I, I love this so much. I mean, the, the way I define happiness for myself is when I'm lying in bed at night, right? And there's, there's no distractions, right? There's, there's no Netflix, there's no people, there's nothing, right? I'm just with myself and my own thoughts. And if in that moment I can honestly say I love myself, like I had a great time today, that to me is, is true happiness. And it sounds like that's that's really what you're talking about here. Not some you know fleeting moments of dopamine rushed ecstasy that we get from you know eating that junk food or, or talking to people or whatever, but like being okay with ourselves. It, it's a very a very I mean if, to describe it. I I'm very visual, obviously. Mm -hmm. Uh, as I described, sort of elements of asperger'sism, autism. So it's about alignment. It's about control. It's about obsession. It's about I'm not numerical, uh, but I see things. My ex-wife always used to joke. She said, "If you fail as a photographer many years ago, she'd challenge me. You become a very good taxi driver because you always find a way to pack all my baggage into the back of the taxi." <laughs> when I go on a journey and I disappear off into the wilds. I have a pile of ingredients of what I want to feel and what I want to see. And I want to align the natural world, the beauty of the natural world, uh, the relatively untouched natural world, with the human beings that live in it in harmony with their culture. So it's like a sort of, uh, if you can imagine a conductor in it with an orchestra, that months and months and months the conductor uh, practices with the thousand people in the choir, the 80 violins, the drums. It's about aligning that sound so that it resonates through him and through his back into the audience where the audience begins to cry. I'm trying to create a visual alignment through, it sounds a little bit sort of 
pretentious, and I don't mean it in that way, art, that one day I'll hang something on the wall and the alignment of what I see is so successful that it brings people to tears, that they will get it. They will truly understand exactly what I'm trying to communicate. This utterly obsessive, obsessive uh, 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 homage to the human being in balance with its knowledge of the natural world. In that process of alignment, I come to my moment of contentment and I begin to understand my purpose for being here. And it brings me to moments of extreme ecstasy and happiness. I don't think I'll ever truly achieve it, but the thrill to tick away at that process is, 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 is thrilling, absolutely thrilling. Yeah. How, how do you make sure that, that on that path towards that, that grand vision that you have that excites you, right? How do, how do you stay in that sense of contentment? Because so many people that, that I see, right, they're struggling, right? Because they're, they're you know, in the middle of the school year, right? And like, they just like, when I finally, you know, graduate, then I'll be happy, right? And then my life is going to be this beautiful paradise thing, right? Or finally get married or when I finally like get this job, like, how do you, you know, find that contentment really on I'm, a daily basis? You're, you're, metaphorically, we're talking about the journey. Let's, bring it into the two-month period, the kiss. Yes. Um, and I'm going to bring in another analogy. Uh, bear with me. Bear with me. I have a, a lot of uh, feathers in my office. And I think the feathers of, of headdresses, the feathers of design, the feathers of the natural world. We're all a feather. Okay, uh, we were born a feather. It's again, it's a metaphor. Please bear with me. When when you're born for the first seven or eight years of your life, all the hairs on the feather are beautifully aligned. You, you're aerodynamic. Without any effort, you can catch the ambient air and you can fly, and you feel the lightness of life. Correct. After the age of about eight or nine, we start entering the the, the, the adult world. And in one way or another, we lose that alignment. In my case, somebody stood on me and did this. I was always a feather, but I lost all aerodynamics and lightness of flight. So I was crumpled. So I crashed. How you sustain that journey is go to the metaphor, in my case, of the feather, and spend every single day, every morning you wake up, in that ritual, in that meditation, that beginning of the day, choosing one hair and picking it and realigning it with respect. Realizing on that hair there are thousands and thousands and thousands of hairs that have got to become one whole to realign, to find that flight. But every day, come wind, rain, sunshine or storm, you make sure that one hair becomes realigned. Then slowly, slowly, you begin to lift again. Slowly, you begin to feel that ambient air, that lightness of being human. And then you readdress the balance of reconnecting to childhood, freedom, curiosity, love of yourself and the world, and bravery, the wisdom of an adult with all the scars. Then you start to fly again. When you begin to understand that, and everybody creates their own metaphor, then it becomes life-sustaining yes. and extremely easy. There's no effort to it at all because the lightness of flight and being is in itself addictive. So it propels itself organically. It becomes effortless because the rewards, the return is so great 
the effort you put into it far outweighs the, the gift of return. But you have to have decided that I have to, as a metaphor, realign every single hair. So you're talking about students and studying. And, and if you're not thinking about the long journey, you're not thinking about that long sustainability, you haven't really felt the pain, then you don't put in the effort. Then you're lazy. You take the shortcut. You arrive by helicopter. You get somebody to carry you there. When you get there, they have 80 people to assist you. I now still travel. I'm 53. Wherever I go, I carry all my own gear. I sometimes have 60, 70 kilos of gear, wow. big tripods, analog cameras, because I want to feel connected to the process. I'm not going to arrive at somebody and ask them to stand there for a week whilst I make their picture without having invested in it myself physically. I have to feel how difficult it is to get there. I have to have earned that respect. Wow. You know, I, I love this, this metaphor of the, the feather so much because I truly believe that transformation, it doesn't happen in this instant, right? Like it, it took you years, decades, right? To, to get to this point where now you're able to look back and reflect on these things and share all these beautiful stories. But it's really by, by every day, as you say, waking up and realigning just one tiny hair on that feather. Yeah, but, 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 that, but that's meditation. That's this idea, you know, something else I love is... I know when you're younger, one needs more sleep than when you get older. That's the beauty of getting older. The sleep that you need gets less. But I love the, 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 the being in the tropics, this idea that when you're with communities, they, they array, uh, raise and sleep with the natural ambient light. So every morning they get up a little bit before dawn, they prepare the day, they stroke the feathers, they light the fires, and then they're there. They're always awake before the sun rises. They stroke the planet, they stroke one another, and they stroke themselves out of respect before the day begins. Then they live the day to the fullest. Then as the sun goes and the darkness arises, then they crawl back into, the, into their slumber. Every day is deeply respected. We hear, we sleep in, we don't sleep in, we use electricity. We're very far, we're very disconnected from the natural, natural uh, rhythm. When you feel and you start going back into that natural rhythm and also using the metaphor of the feather, it becomes much more sustaining. Mm. But you have that. to want it. You can't tell anybody to do it. There's no book you're going to read. But you only feel it when, when you've left it and lost it and decide you have to reconnect with it. And then when you reconnect, you go deep. You go into a deep wealth and the problem is in the developed world, and that's what's happening at the moment, we're all so upset that we've created a, a pandemic, a flu, a virus that is inherent uh, uh, because we thought we were in control. We thought we put concrete everywhere and glass over everything and ensured everything and nothing bad's ever going to happen to us because we'll become fucking lazy. Excuse my language. Not and if every human being looked at the scars they had, they wouldn't ever live in cruise control which is what we do in the developed world and these problems wouldn't arise you know every Jimmy, I, morning everybody would get up before the sunrise and pick up the rubbish and stroke the planet with love and respect no matter how much material wealth we've gathered and only then only then can you constructively and healthily move forward you know jimmy i'm i'm obsessed with with the idea of death and that the, the only way to truly live is to remember that we're all going to die, right? And often I'm sooner than but we hope. I was, I was talking about this this morning with somebody here. You don't know, when you're gone, you don't know. 
So this whole sort of fear of death, it's, 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 uh, you won't know. Yes. So why bother? Why not just live? Yeah. And it may be for one day or for another 40 years. Exactly. And I found that, that this, this vulnerability of simply remembering that really helps you actually live. So talk to us about this, this vulnerability, really, that, that we're all missing, right? We're living in this concrete world, right? We have everything, especially in the, the Western world, where we have everything that is easy, everything that's convenient nowadays, at the hint of like one, one mouse button, right? I, I, so I, think, I think with what happened with the pandemic in the last year, that if we were brave as human beings, we would see that as a, as a moment to become vulnerable, a moment to truly reflect and look in the mirror. What is wrong? It's not going to be solved by sticking, walking around with a stupid mask on or sticking a, an injection in you. That's not what it's about. That's putting a Band-Aid over a severed artery. By becoming truly vulnerable, you look at the cell of artery that's bleeding you to death, metaphorically, and analyze why is it severed for humanity as a whole, and as for us as individuals, so go deep into the source. Only then will you ex acknowledge being vulnerable. The, the idea of putting a Band-Aid over it and sticking a needle in your arm, that's arrogance. That's thinking we can solve it by the click of a finger. No, 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 no. It's much, the damage is much deeper than what's a simple pandemic. And until we accept that and acknowledge it and look at one another and say, how can we re-address uh, this, then you can't move healthily forward. So it's ego. Yeah. How, how does that like destruction work, right? Because you talked before about really going, going to these, these tribes, right? And essentially like honoring them, worshiping them, right? Really mm -hmm. dis dissolving okay. your ego and, and being completely full of humility and starting really from the start. How do, you, how do you do that construction process? Well, as I described a few minutes earlier, that happened to me organically, mm -hmm. having had everything taken away. But I think if human beings were to connect and feel with the fear they have at the moment, the vulnerability that they have at the moment, we could all come out on the other side far stronger. But we don't. Mm -hmm. We don't. We think, oh, when we have an injection, when we wear a mask, it'll all be solved. I think what happened to me as a kid um, because it was all taken away, I realized that there was no quick fix. There was no quick fix. It would be a lifelong journey of, 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 of re realignment. I mean, I look at my kids, uh, and they're in their early 20s. They have extremely healthy relationships with uh, their peers, uh, male and female. I'm often very jealous of them. I say, I will never be able to, to, to have that moment of compassion with somebody else because I'm so, not a, such a mess anymore, but I'm so broken. Uh, but to, to try and realign it and understand it is an extremely rich process. So the humility of accepting that uh, it's a passage of time and that is something I can't just have or I can't just buy or I can't just swipe or I can't just make... Then you get into this feeling of, I may not be able to healthily love somebody else or let them love me, but ultimately perhaps I can learn to love myself. Wow. But, but it's, so it's, it's, it's unending. Mm. And I think the, the question is, is how do, do we as human beings become so scarred that we decide to re-begin and re-address? Re and I think the danger is because we let ego take over.
And when ego is taken away and when you have nothing and you really believe you're nothing, uh, then it becomes quite easy. But I can't impose what happened to me as a child on others. Yeah. Yeah. What do you hope to, to give your children um, in terms of, of these lessons, morals? Good question. Uh, good question. They're all young adults. They're highly independent, intelligent, Amsterdam-based and educated and working. Uh, what I hope to give them is to show them my humility my vulnerability that I love them as a father, but I'm, but I'm truly fallible. Uh, but in that process of trying to become the best parent that I could ever become dealing with my own honesty and daring to share it. And that gives you strength, uh, in all your weaknesses. And I think that's what I'd hope to give them. And that the moments of true, contentment slash happiness I felt are having been by being brave and aligning with what I can do, what I enjoy and who I am, and that they should dare go on their journey of discovering their authenticity and not listening to society and others around them. And if they do that, then I'll become very proud as a, I already am very proud as a father, um, but it would be very thrilling to see. Yeah, so do you understand that, right, that like all of these moments of, of true contentment for you are really the things of, of turning inwards and, and bringing more outside of you, really, of what you have inside? Yeah, it is turning inwards. It's also the moment in, in next month, if any of your listeners are in Paris, from June the 9th onwards, we have a very large exhibition. When wow. I say we, I work with a team here in Amsterdam of 10 people. I often say with two hands and I'm the little finger here and the other nine are my uh, colleagues. We've created an installation in the Atelier de Lumière, the, the, the room of light in the Marais in Paris. And it's a, an a, a area the size of a football field. Wow. Uh, indoors with a roof with uh, 450 beamers. And it's a digital journey. So through the film and the photography and the sound I've recorded over the years, we've made this installation uh, that when you come and stand in it, you're immersed and taken with me. Um, that, that is very thrilling. So on one hand, it's my journey of discovery, my moments of looking for my contentment, but it's finding ways to share that with others. I found it very powerful. We, it was briefly opened last October, November in Paris before lockdown came to stand with two and a half thousand people looking up at these walls, looking up at these wonderful human beings, feeling humility and feeling an urge and a desire and a need to understand what they see to better connect with themselves living in the middle of the city. Wow. So it is, it's not only about me, but it's about sharing and trying to inspire humbly uh, others. Yeah, I love that so much. And I want to go back for, for a moment to, to what we talked about about 20 minutes ago this idea of, of truly connecting with, with other human beings. Cause I'm so mm -hmm. fascinated by this. Like a year ago, right before, or really at the start of COVID, I went to Brazil uh, together with my best friends. Right. And I don't speak any Portuguese, but I still like when I met people over there, I, I felt like, like what you're talking about here, right? This, this intense human connection, right? Where you just give each other this big hug and a big mm -hmm. smile. And like, even if you can't speak together, you feel this incredible connection. And so, I'm super curious, like, how do you, like, when you go there, like, what do you, how do you approach it? Like, is there any, any sort of fear or anxiety no, in the no, beginning? No, there's, there's, there's no fear. You, you're, I'm utterly obsessed mm -hmm. with 
aesthetically and artistically documenting the beauty of what I see. To get the contact, to get the trust, to get the stillness, to use the big old camera I do with the old long shutter speeds, you have to spend days and days and weeks worshipping, on your knees, looking up, going, you are wonderful, giving compliments, making sounds, making noises that are, are euphoric, are celebratory. Wow. You cry, you laugh, you, you dance, all about celebrating the other. It's extremely easy. If wherever you are, I don't believe there's one person that never wants to have their picture made. But I first, you have to invest in that process. You have to tell them they're wonderful. Tell them they're beautiful. Show that you're interested in them. Make them believe, which has to be true, that you see them in all their beauty and all their power. And if you do do that, everybody wants to be, to be documented uh, in that moment of alignment. Now, the majority of the communities don't know what a camera is, but they do know what this feeling of respect is. I find, I find that so fascinating, this, this idea of, of really paying true respect to another human being. I think yeah, but you just, have to love other human beings. Yes. You have to be curious about them. You have to be, uh, in Dutch we say, yeah, curious. You have to want to understand them. The other day, I, we were, I was opening a new bank account in a, in a bank. And nowadays, banks almost don't exist. Or if they do, they're this digital something somewhere. And there was a lady behind the counter who really wasn't interested or qualified or cared anymore. And then in the process of having a conversation with her, asking her about herself, about her love life, about her partner, about her adventures, her wishes, her disappointments, in that half an hour, you connect with another human being. She said to me, nobody in all five years that she'd been worked, asked her anything about herself. They were only angry that banks had all become digitalized. In that process of doing that, being genuinely curious about her, the whole process was speeded up and it became human again. That is amazing because I think this is truly the, the lost art and the, the thing that everybody yeah. out there is, is craving, right? It's yeah, the other day I was in a taxi in Hamburg and got in and the taxi driver was a Middle Eastern, very angry. <laughs> uh, and I thought, I don't want to connect with my feeling. I don't want to spend the next half an hour sitting in the back of a cab with an angry driver because it gives me a bad feeling. And I looked in the mirror and he had green eyes. And I sort of you know, asked if he spoke a bit of English. Yeah. And I said, you know, would you happen to be from Afghanistan? And he goes, why do you ask? And so with your green eyes, they look very familiar. We spent the next two hours talking. He took me to lunch, sitting on a terrace. It was wow. open, telling me his life story. He's a doctor and he came as a refugee and blah, blah, blah. Beautiful. I was late for my appointment, but I had a very beautiful lunch and made a very beautiful human connection with a very, very uh, intelligent, valuable human being who'd spent the last 15 years being a taxi driver, enabling his kids to go to medical school. But nobody had ever asked him. Yeah. Wow. So it really sounds like it's, it's about paying special attention to these, these so little details people. maybe that you have from, from really looking at these, these picture things. No, but it's about genuinely being interested in other people. And wanting other people to be interested in you and realizing to do that, you have to be sincere. Yeah. And it's not about who you are, what your job is, or how you look or where you're from. It's just genuinely being curious about other human beings and believing from every single conversation you will learn something. Every single conversation you will learn something. And getting off your one's high, excuse my friend's fucking horse of ego <laughs> and putting oneself down and saying, I'm not better than anybody at all. And having been through what I went through my childhood, I know that as a fact. 
And it doesn't matter where my pictures hang or what books I make. I'm an extremely fallible human being with an obsession. Yes, but I'm no better or worse. And that's why every single human meeting, every single conversation is valid. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is so amazing. And you know, Jimmy, to me, like you're you're a little bit like like Frodo from from Lord of the Rings, right? Who who sort of ventures into into the mm. unknown, experiences the world, and then returns in the end to to write his book and and share what he's learned. So, what yeah, are some yeah. of these these sort yeah, of? Yeah, I mean, it's, un, it's unending. It'll be many, many, many yes. more years, if ever, that there'll be a day that I think I'll have the answers. I'm beginning to discover a few of my own personal answers. It's very humbling and very flattering to have this conversation with you and share it with others. But I think one in general has to go on this journey oneself. One has to go through one's own pain. Uh, it's extremely important, extremely important. Understand what you feel. And only once you understand what you feel will you start leading a life aligned with what you want to do. And then it can be extremely fulfilling. doesn't matter what it is. It's so unimportant what it is. But you have to feel, go back to that feather, spend every day, wake up in the morning, aligning all the. Yeah. So, Jimmy, one thing we love to do on the show is, is celebrate failures, really, as a stepping stone for, for more personal growth. So okay. do you have a favorite failure? <sighs> favorite? I've got many. <laughs> uh, one failure. Recently, I was talking to my son about it yesterday. Uh, he wants to spend all his saved money on a motorbike. And I was trying to advise him at the age of 21, he needs to have a buffer and he needs a bit of safety. And he reminded me of a story that I told him when I was nine, 20. This is a failure. I'd come back from my journey in Tibet. Uh, I was beginning to reconnect. I had some pictures published and I earned a little bit of money. But I still felt very insecure. I still felt very inadequate compared to my peers who were all now studying to be lawyers, doctors, and accountants. Since the age of 17, I haven't studied. I don't have one certificate. And uh, in that insecurity, I decided to buy myself status to my peers. So I went off and spent every single penny on a sports car. <laughs> It was called an MGBGCT, a very beautiful beige, uh, topless aluminium car. But there was a slight problem. Uh, I didn't have any money for the insurance, <laughs> and I still didn't have a driving license. Wow. <laughs> and I was trying to live in London, which I couldn't afford. And within two months, the car was so damaged by people destroying it, I couldn't drive it legally, although I drove it. I had to sell it for a third of the price I bought it for. So that was a, a failure I was of many failures I recently reminded, and that was based on my ego. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I love, love that. I, I think it, it's such a such a funny story, right? Of like when whenever we try to sort of get that external validation, right, from from other people, whether it's through that Facebook post trying to get as many likes as possible, or that car, or whatever else it is, it also never fills us up, right? And the irony is now I'm 53 and I don't own a car, mm -hmm. and I have three bikes. I have a, a race bike, an e-bike, and a, we call it a bucket. So that's the bucket fight bike in back Amsterdam. And after all these years, uh, yeah. It's, yeah, that's fascinating. 
What do you think is the number one thing that holds people back from truly connecting with themselves? Fear. Fear. That's all fear. You have to become fearless. Fearless with wisdom. It doesn't mean jumping off a cliff without a parachute. Uh, that that's I would, without judging, uh, regard um, not necessarily stupidity, but just general fear. fear. Mm. I think that's the one thing that's holding everybody back. Yeah. And if you as a human being, what I feel now, I felt when I was younger, but because of fear, I didn't listen. We all have a little voice inside. We all have something telling us who we are, what we are. But because I was so afraid, it's taken me years and years and years to dare to listen to who I am. So fear, yeah. Yeah, and I, I love that courageous. Curious. Yeah, dare to be curious. Yeah, we talked about so many you know, ideas, insights today. If you could give our listeners just one challenge or one action step to take away from this and start applying today, what would be the number one thing? I'm going to put it in the context of photography, uh, but it's not, but it is, but it's not, but it is, but you know what I mean. I'm often asked, uh, Jimmy, uh, I would love to do what you do. Please advise me on what camera I should buy. And I go, oh, no, <laughs> don't ask me that question. Uh, my advice is not what camera you should buy, uh, but to discover the story and the journey that you're on. That takes a lot longer than buying a camera. And once you begin to listen to that story, you'll have something perhaps authentic to share and tell. Then you go and find a medium, and whether that's a camera, a voice, an instrument, or a paintbrush or a pen, to start telling your authentic story. So do it the other way around. Love so look in the mirror, and then once you begin to understand what you see, then you can start to communicate it. Don't ignore the mirror and find the medium and focus on that. So it's inverse. Love that so much. Now, before I ask my final question, where can people find you online? Um, my name is Jimmy. So J-I-M-M-Y-N-E-L-S-O-N, -S -S like the sailor. It used to be Nielsen, mm -hmm. Scandinavian, but it changed to Nelson through my great-grandfather. Just type that in, and I think there are three other Jimmy Nelsons. One's a Canadian ventriloquist, <laughs> and one's an injured American baseball player, both of which are not, and the third one. Uh, Google that. There's quite a bit on YouTube, a uh, number of TED Talks, films, content. Also, if you everybody has a smartphone, most of us are now connected to Wi-Fi. There's a free app called the Jimmy Nelson app. If you download it, It gives you digital interactivity with all the pictures that I've made. You don't need to own the book. You don't need to go to an exhibition. You can just load them on your screen through Google, and you swipe your smartphone with the app over the picture, and it activates original uh, video storytelling content behind the picture. There are more than 3,000 pictures with that content behind them. So if you're ever bored with your series on Netflix or whatever streaming platform you're on, and you're a little bit more curious, please come with me, and I'll take you on my ongoing journey yeah and that really is incredible content for our listeners um now jimmy what does it mean for you to max out your life to cherish and celebrate every single day as if it was my last
but at the same time aspiring to live forever. Love that. Jimmy, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Max. Thank you for your enthusiasm. Thank you for your invitation. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. (laughs) All right, guys, that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you gained some valuable ideas, tips, tools, tricks, mindsets, belief systems that will hopefully inspire you to take your life to the next level. At the end of the day, guys, it's all about application. The only thing that's going to set you apart tomorrow from where you are today is how much action you take with those ideas that you gained. And so I really want to challenge you at this point to you know, not just listen to this passively, to not just consume this you know, passively, just thinking about other things, but to really take those lessons, take those ideas that you just gained and start applying them to your life. So really start taking action and sprinting towards those goals and those dreams that you have in your life. Now, guys, at this point, I want to ask you for a huge favor. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider heading over to iTunes and leaving a review as that helps me really grow the show and reach more people, impact even more people around the world. You know, if you have a family member, friend, a loved one maybe that you think could benefit from this content, please consider, you know, sharing it with them, forwarding to them as that helps us really build a community of like-minded people that are all about maxing out their lives. Now, guys, with that being said, thanks so much for tuning in today. I really, really appreciate it. Stay strong and see you tomorrow.